kindness. Thank you, Father God, for the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary for the remission of our sins. God, we just want to thank you for we're so grateful on tonight for everything that you have already done on our behalf, God, even when we did not deserve it. So we're thankful and grateful on tonight. Father, thank you that our hearts are open and receptive to receive what you have to say unto us on tonight through the word of God. And Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are truly welcome here. And I thank you, Father, that I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us begin. Amen for the teaching. I don't know about you, but it's showing me me. <laughs> or oh, it's showing me where I used to be and where I don't want to go back to. Amen. Um, through all of this, I believe that through teaching on discipline in the church, it helps us to, first of all, see ourselves. If you don't see you in this teaching, I don't know how you will see anybody else. Because everybody in this room, I believe, at one time or another have went through some of these things that I'm calling out. You can deny it all you want. Some of these things in this room, all of us have been through, and some of us might be still going through it and struggling with it, but we have to know that the word of God is here to help us to come out of doing what we should not be doing. So we talked about last week on covetousness, idolatry, and a railer. We talked about three things that if it's in the church, then there should be discipline concerning these things. And we have to let um, the saints know if they in covetousness, a desire to have more or greed. We need to let um, people know because some people don't recognize it because they've been doing it so long. It has become a part of them. If you see yourself wanting everything somebody else have and you trying to find a way to get it, then you're in covetousness because you're coveting what someone else um, has and you're trying to obtain it. We went over how um, Ananias and Sapphira, how um, in Acts chapter 4, first of all, they were all on one accord. They were coming together and whatever they owned or whatever they had, they were bringing it unto the apostles. They come into agreement to lay it at the apostles' feet, not just part of it, but all of it. And then in the fifth chapter of Acts, we see where Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost because they kept back part of what they supposed to have been given. And see, that's a form of covetousness. When you're trying to hold on to something that God is telling you to release, that means that you are covenanting that thing, and that leads to idolatry. That's a form of idolatry, having another God before God. So that's why we have to search ourselves and say, God, what am I holding on to that you told me to let go of, but I'm not letting go of it. Um, just like I said, this covetousness can go, lead into idolatry because you're putting it before you're putting God. So Ananias and Sapphira, when you look at that land that was sold, they knew that they got um, full price for the land. They knew they supposed to turn all the money over to the apostles, but they coveted that money and they kept part of it for themselves. Um, Simon the sorcerer, we see what was going on with him. He was trying to buy the Holy Ghost um, with money because he wanted to use it for gain. That's another form of covetousness. And we see, um, we went over Ephesians 5, 5 and Luke 12, where we see that the inheritance um, 
He was telling Jesus, let him divide the inheritance with me. You know, he was saying, talk to my brother. And we talked about how people, when their parents die or when somebody before they die, people are already fighting over who's going to get what's left. Isn't that so sad, the person not even dead and people trying to figure out, well, when they die, I'm going to get this, 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 this. That's a form of covetousness as well. You're waiting for somebody to kick the bucket to get what they have. And then when you find out after they die that you can't even get it because it, it can't be sold until all those debts are given away until all their stuff is settled because they left some debt behind. So you better be researching all of this stuff before you get all this stuff in your mind that you're going to have the car or the house or whatever. If that car or house ain't paid for and they haven't put you on a wheel for that stuff, guess what? You probably won't be getting it. So anyway, we see that's um, covetousness, idolatry. We talked about anything that comes between God and the believer is idolatry. It can be material things. It can be people. It becomes an idol. And we, we talked about no man can serve two masters, according to Matthew 6, 24. Um, and we talked about covenants as part of idolatry. You can find that in Ephesians 3, 5. I mean, Ephesians 5, 5 and Colossians 3, 5. So the next one we talked about was a railer. It's one who scoffs, insults, criticizes, or reproaches with abusive language. One who is against everything, speaks evil of leaders and brothers, impossible to get along with. So when we look at a railer, we really have to check ourselves to see have we ever been impossible to get along with. Have we ever um, had abusive language or who's against everything? Always have something to say and it ain't positive. It's, it's always negative. Keeping stuff going in church that's hurting other people because when you let insults come out of your mouth concerning someone else, then you are a railer because the Bible tells us don't have insult for insult. That means we don't come back with the insult. We come back with blessings. So our... Um, um, what we're saying should be different from what the world is saying. So we should not be a railer. We talked about First Samuel 25 when Nabal, he began to rail on David. He began to say things against David, and David was protecting um, his sheep or protecting his property when things was going on. But when David asked him to help him, he began to talk about David. He began to insult David. So that's a railer. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, 11 is where it began with the railer. We talked about um, Mark 15, 29, when they began to rail on Jesus. You know, when Jesus was on that cross, y'all know they mocked him, they insulted him, they belittled him, and that was a railer. Um, we also, tonight, I'm going to go into three more, if time permit. And yes, I do have a lot of scriptures, but I give you all these scriptures to back up what I'm talking about. I do not ask for all these scriptures on the test. So if you um, let it be established by two or three witnesses, you are right. Amen. If I give you five or six or seven, you just pick you three or you pick you one good witness that you know about and you okay, okay? People get upset when you get all these scriptures like, dag, apostle. My husband was picking on me because... He said in my teaching last week when he went back to listen to it, he said my words were, um, what was my words? One more scripture. He said your one more end up being how many? <laughs> well, I want to make sure you are well informed. I'm a good gossiper for the gospel. You get it? 
I'm a good gossiper. Y'all, that's a t-shirt. I'm going to get me a t-shirt. I'm a good gossiper for the gospel. Somebody going to beat me to that Mm t-shirt. Y'all know where it come from, right? Okay, tonight, this is what we're going to talk about. And the first one I'm talking about tonight, everybody probably have their own opinion, but it is what it is. Amen. We're talking about tonight a drunkard. A drunkard. This should not be in the church. A drunkard. Some people say, I ain't no drunk. Let's see. A drunkard is one who habitually drinks Pepsi, Coke. I'm picking now. Athea looked up at me like, what? One who habitually drinks and is always under the influence of Pepsi, Coke. No, under the influence of alcohol or strong drink. One who habitually drinks and is always under the influence of alcohol or strong drink. Now, some people who they call a drunk don't even realize that they are drunk because it becomes so much a part of them and they can handle their alcohol so well that people know when they're really drunk because they run off at the mouth and they say stuff from deep within that they wouldn't say when they were sober. So that's what a drunken is, a habitual Um, habitual intoxication is a weakness drunkenness is the work of the flesh that's in Galatians 5 21 so someone that's a drunk is one who habitually drinks always under the influence of alcohol or strong drink now we're going to get into the word of God where it says be not drunk with wine we know that's Ephesians 5 18 right so the word of God is telling us not to be drunk with what with wine now, I'm, I'm going to stop right there because some people say it's okay to take a little bit of wine now and then because wine calms you down. And remember that um, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for the stomach's sake. And what was happening back then in that day when he told him to take a little bit of wine, back then they couldn't do water like they did for us this day. That water was contaminated. So when, they, when he would take the wine, it was like a medicine using um for his stomach because his stomach was not feeling well so see when you don't research scripture and you just go on it without not understanding why paul would say this why would paul tell him to take something that he was a pastor he was a leader he wouldn't tell him to to take something that he knew would be harmful to him or would be addictive to him So we have to understand what the scripture is saying. And most of all, you have to hear the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Some people get so into debate on, I'm a Christian, should I drink or should not I drink? You know what you should do and what you should not do. Because the closer you get with God, there's certain things that you know that you um, shouldn't do because it's affecting the temple of God. So we'd say in that, it says in the word, um, be not drunk with wine, Ephesians 5, 18. Let's look at Proverbs 20, verse 1. And when you see somebody in the body of Christ and they drinking all the time, running off at the mouth all the time, and they're trying to be a deacon or they're trying to teach you something, they got to be sat down. And you have a right to give them the word of God and letting them know what the word says. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, it said, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So it's saying wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. 
So the Bible tells you what wine will do to you or what a strong drink will do to you. So when we know what the word of God is saying, we don't want to get addicted to something that's going to have us raging, that's going to have us being what a mocker or taking us out of our character of who we are. Amen. Look at um, Proverbs um, chapter 23 and listen at what this is saying in 23 verses 29 through 35. Now this right here is breaking it down. First, I'm going to start with verse 27. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increases the transgressors among men. But verse 29 says, Who have woe? Who have sorrow? Who have contentions? Who have babbling? Who have wounds without cause? Who have redness of the eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Ain't that something? Goes down smoothly. That's what it means when it say moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women when you're drunk, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mass. Thou hast stricken me, says thou, shall thou say, and I was not sick. Thou hast beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I wake? I will seek it yet again. That's what alcohol will do to you. Have you ever seen somebody when they get drunk, people kick them, they beat them, do everything, and they still talk and jump? bleeding everything, still talking junk, still cursing you out, still going hard at it and ain't feeling nothing and still go back and get them something else to drink. Then they wake up, don't know what happened. So what does that tell you about alcohol? It's not good. But some people say, no, it's okay to take a little bit and see what they're saying. And I was going to go into more with it to, um, research dealing with um, way back when in their culture, what was happening was they would mix water with um, the grapes because when you leave the grapes a long time, it will make somebody drunk if they keep drinking it because they put them in wine skins to keep them. And when they stay in those wine skins for so long, guess what they're going to do? It's going to get stronger. It's going to get very strong. So they had that to drink, and if they didn't mix anything with it, guess what? They're going to get drunk. <laughs> so this is why God was saying wine is a, is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. He's warning them because they didn't have what we have today, but when they're making alcohol today, guess what? It's made out of the grape. It's made out of the vine. When you drink grape juice, you have a sweet taste. You ain't raging when you drink it. You're not, um, you know, doing all kind of stuff when you drink it because it's actually good for you, grape juice. But when it comes to wine, they're doing more, breaking it down so to have a bite. Have you ever watched somebody drinking when they're drinking, they clear the throat so much and be like, <sighs> like something is going on. But they love the drink. The thing you say is burning. See, I never, I never did that. So is that what that is? It's a burning sensation when it go down. Does it go down smooth with you? 
Okay, it's smooth, but how much of it do you drink for it to become raging if it's smooth? Come on, we come up here, Thea. Come up here. The reason why I'm doing this is because some people think they're okay, but I, I, I know this. The more a person drinks and it becomes so much a part of them, they don't think they're drunk. They're normal. Is that right? They feel like they're normal? Go ahead, Thea. Tell us about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About the old Athea. Um, like we were talking about with alcohol, it depends. Like your high-end alcohol, like your Hennessy's, is smooth. And you still will get drunk, but you won't get drunk as quick as you will with the cheaper stuff. And, but you'll still get the buzz in the morning, and you know, it depends on the quantity of how much you drink of it. If you drink a lot of the cheap stuff, you'll get drunk quicker. And if you drink, uh, yeah, I drink a lot of the high-end stuff to get drunk to feel it like your scotch and your bourbon and all that other stuff, your brandy and stuff like that, but you still will get drunk. And just like with wine, the cheap wine, Mad Dog 2020, and the cheap stuff, you know, you'll get drunk quicker on that stuff like that. And it, it, (laughs) it's like I'm drunk, right? (laughs) And it's sweet. But I thank God that I have been delivered from alcohol. Amen. You know, but, but you will get drunk. And just like Apostle was teaching, I was teasing Carlos back there. You're talking about drinking. You know how the guys say, the more you drink, the better she look. And you'll see, <laughs> and you'll see somebody that you, and, and a quick testimony. When we used to go out, we used to always have somebody that would be sober. Somebody always had to be sober to watch the rest of us. And when it was my turn to be sober, you know, a friend of mine, this guy, he was a part of God's creation. But somebody in his family wasn't attractive, so he wasn't really what you would call a good-looking man. You know, you wouldn't look at him. I'm not going to call him ugly because he was made in the image of God. But back in the day, he was ugly. So so friend of mine was drinking, and she was drunk, and he was leading her upstairs. Now, normally, she wouldn't even look at this guy. And he had her by the hand, and she was following him like, like he was Romeo, and she was Juliet. And we tell her, no, 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 Pai, don't go, don't go, don't go. You ain't going up there with dolls. And she said, yes, I am. I want to go. We're like, no, you don't. No, you don't. And her cousin fell on the ground and bruised her knee. And we finally got her away from him. And that next morning, we told her, we said, you know what you like to do? She's like, what? You were going upstairs with dolls. She was like, with dolls? Ew. Yeah, dolls almost had you because she was drunk. So when you drink, you do do things, and you say things. Some people get drunk, and they get a boldness about them, and they're really speaking what's on the inside of them, and their alcohol is just giving them the boldness to do it. That's right. And that's why a lot of women end up sometimes with sexually transmitted diseases and getting gang raped or whatever because you're drunk, you don't remember, and everybody and their grandmama had you because you were drunk. Amen. And some people say it's okay to take a little wine. Take the word instead of the wine. You'll be all right, and you can be drunk in the spirit. Amen? That's the best drunk ever. It'll clear up everything. So we see. Thank you, Athea, for that. I see you knew a lot about that subject. <laughs> Isaiah five eleven. but we thank God for deliverance. Amen? So, Athea, you should know when somebody come in the house or if somebody is part of the body of Christ, that's acting like a drunk and act like they ain't no drunk, right? So this is what we shouldn't have where? In the body of Christ. We don't bring the world 
in the body of Christ because Jesus defeated what? Sin, the world. So Isaiah 5, 11, y'all, let me tell you what was happening. These were leaders. And in verse 5, 11, it says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue unto night to wine and flame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabard and the pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operations of, of his hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, hell have enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoices shall descend into it. So what is this saying is you had leaders that was drinking, that was carrying on that was part of um, doing what God had called them to do. But guess what? They couldn't do it because they were drinking. They were drinking strong drink when they got up in the morning. Now, a person that says that they do not drink, and that's the first thing that you go to in the morning, even before you eat your food, then something is wrong with that, right? Have you ever been around people that always, if you come to their house, would you like a glass of wine? <laughs> Some people think that's the way to go and make you feel rich and famous because you got your little bubbly sitting there and you having a nice conversation. But this is what these things can lead up to. So this is why you want to stay away from what? These things because the Bible speaks of these things. So let's get another. Deuteronomy 21, verse 20 through 21. Y'all, everything we need is in the word if we just go to it. Deuteronomy 21, verse 20 through 21. And in here it says, And they shall say unto the elders of this city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of this city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shall thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So they had someone that was rebellious, they had someone that was a drunkard, and they said they, they have to be put away from them, so they were going to stone him. Isn't that something? Come on, y'all. Now, if God did that to us today, it'd be a lot of dead bodies, wouldn't it? Every day, somebody be dropping out. Every minute, somebody be dropping out. So we thank God for Jesus. So they said we got to put them away from us. So in the body of Christ, when you recognize these things, we as the people of God, as the saints of God, we have to confront these things because some people are not aware that they could be a railer. They're not aware that they could be covetous. They're not aware that they could be fornicating because all of this seems as if it is okay. So we have to make people aware of what they're doing because some people say people know they're sinning, but when you keep sinning and sinning and sinning and it becomes a part of you, it's just like putting your shoes on and tying them up with your eyes closed and you feel like everything is okay because everybody that you around is not bringing you correction. How can you follow somebody that drinks in the morning, drinks in the evening, drinks at night, come to church on Sunday, holler hallelujah, giving God glory, and then 
they act like it's nothing wrong. And why are they acting this way? Because you, as the one that's following them, are following them so they think, well, if she's okay, I'm okay. She's not saying nothing, so it must be okay. So it's not okay. So we as saints of God, we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters enough to tell them when they are wrong. Because when we don't tell them that they are wrong, we just as wrong as they are. We're supposed to separate ourselves for them. We don't supposed to have fellowship with them. Why? It messes up our testimony. It messes up our witness. Anyone that you hang with that's doing opposite of the word of God and they say that they are Christian, they say they are a follower of Christ, and you see any of these traits in them and they continue to do them and you continue to follow them that does these things, then that means that you're okay with what they do and people are looking at you just as they're looking at them. And your name is already out there. Well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here. But you're sitting there and you act like it's okay. I remember when me and my husband, when they would have dinners at his job um, for them on certain occasions, and we would go. But once we got saved and turned our life over to Jesus, we would go eat the meal. But once they opened the dance floor up and start drinking and start doing like they wanted to do, we were out. We didn't stay for that part. Because why would I stay there and watch them with all this music going on, all this drinking going on, all this drunkenness going on, and I'm sitting there watching them like I'm in agreement with them. What is wrong with getting up and leaving? You done had your steak, your baked potato, your salad, you done got full, you just need to take off and leave. That's showing them they are not like us. We're setting an example. Guess what you do when you sit there in that mess? You're telling God that's on the inside of you. We're going to sit here and we're going to listen to what we are disrespecting our father. Let me ask you this. Y'all know that, well, some of us, when we were dating, girlfriend and boyfriend, and we may have done underhanded things, we wouldn't let our parents know, would we? We wouldn't do it around them, right? Well, some people kiss a boy down in front of their parents like it ain't nothing. Me, don't you touch me. Don't look at me like that. Not in front of my parents. Don't you do that. Was that not respect? Why do we let God go places that he don't need to go? Why do we allow people to say things in front of us that he don't need to be hearing? We're the temple. So we have to excuse ourselves out of stuff that don't represent him. Because that's not what we do. So that's what I'm saying. Everywhere we go, he go. And we're supposed to show respect for our father. So that's why you have to separate yourself and you have to let your friend know, no, I don't partake in that. That's not who I am. And then you have to let them know, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And before I found out who I was, I was doing what you were doing. So I cannot partake in what you're doing because it made me become part of something that I'm not. And when you do that, you're going to know if you still keep that friend or if you don't keep that friend. Because if that friend shun away from you, they were never your friend. It's either going to draw them or it's going to drive them. And the majority of the time, you will walk alone, even with family, because family think you too saved because you don't participate in what they participate no more. No, the closer I get to God, the more I don't want to do it no more. It don't even bother me. 
And that's how we should be. We shouldn't try to keep up with the Joneses. If the Joneses want to get drunk, then let the Joneses get drunk out of my presence. That's, that's what you choose to do, but we're supposed to give them what? Truth. Now, let's look at another one. So we're talking about um, extortioner. Let's talk about an extortioner. One who's an extortioner is guilty of snatching away from another by threat, force, fraud, and greed that which does not lawfully belong to him. An extortioner is one who is guilty of snatching away from another by threat, force, fraud, and greed that which does not lawfully belong to him. So if you are around an extortioner, extortioner is one that tried to take something from someone by threatening them, by um, force, by forcing a person to give it to them, or by threat, or by greed. Y'all know greed is, you're, um, you're greedy. You want what really um, don't belong to you. You got to have all the time. So let's look at scriptures that will back that up. Go to 1 Samuel 2, verses 12 through 17. And this is talking about Eli's sons. Now they were priests. And this is what they were doing in verse 12 through 17. 1 Samuel 2, 12 through 17. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in the seating with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in shallow unto all the Israelites that came thither, unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to the roast, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as they so desire, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now. If not, I will take it by force. That's what an extortioner do. They had a custom here dealing with the priests. The priests could not get their part until it was done the way that God set it up to be done. It had to be burnt first. But Eli's sons wanted to take it raw, and that was not how God had set it up. So by them wanting to take it raw, and they telling them, no, wait until we do, um, you know, we burn it or we roast it or whatever by fire. They said, if you don't give it to me like I want it, we're going to take it by force. That's an extortioner. That's one that wants something so bad that they'll do whatever they have to do to get it. It's by threat. It's by force. It's by greed. That's what an extortioner does. They want it so bad, it don't matter who they hurt to get it. They're going to get what they want. And when you look at a greedy person, it's like they never have enough. They're always trying to go out and get more, get more. That's what greed is. You're after more, you're after more. It's all about money. So Eli's sons were not going by the laws of God. 
They were going by their own laws in which this was outside of the law of God. They wanted to have it the way they wanted to have it. So they were showing disrespect unto God. So they were taking actually something that did not belong to them. It belonged to God first. God said it have to be burnt first. You have to burn it first because it was being offered up to God as a sacrifice. So it had to be burnt first. And they was trying to force them. They said, if you don't give it to me. We're going to make you give it to us. That's what an extortioner does. Let's look at another scripture on that. Go with me to um, 1 Kings 21. And I believe all y'all are familiar with this and you can read it. I'm not going to read it. This is when I believe that um, Jezebel, um, Ahab, he wanted a vineyard. And he wanted that vineyard from Naboth. And they both wouldn't give him that vineyard because actually it wasn't his to give because it was a law about inheritance. And it was not him, his to give, so he knew it, was, it belonged to the Lord. So this man, Ahab, when he told him he wanted that vineyard and he told him no, he went home and was pouting to his wife, which is Jezebel. Jezebel said, I will handle this. So what Jezebel did, this is what an extortioner does to get what they want. Jezebel knew the law of God. The devil know the law of God, but the devil want to change that law to get what they want, but they do it out of deceit. She used the word of God. She took um, the king and she sealed this letter and she said, let's proclaim a fast. So we know they're familiar with the fast. So in proclaiming that fast, she was saying that um, Booth, what he did, he blasphemed against God. He cursed God. And we know that the law tell you if you curse a person, this is what's going to happen to the person that cursed the person. But the only way that she could get this set up the right way was to go by what the law said do when you curse a person. So the next step was she got the sons of Bilal to lie and be witnesses, because you had to let this be established by two or three witnesses. This is what the word says. So she was following the word, but she interjected a lie in there by getting false witnesses to say they heard him curse God. So what they end up doing, they didn't only stone him. They stoned his children, too, because if he died, the, the vineyard would be left to the children. So she had to get the whole family. Y'all, that's what the devil does. He know how to work what he works. So they stone their booth, they stone the children, and guess what? They end up with the vineyard. That's an extortioner. It's done through um, lies. It's done through threat. It's done through force. So they, she made it look like she was going by the word of God. See how the enemy can deceive you? You can have an extortioner in the church that's using scripture to try to get what they want, but they're giving you scripture to act as if this is what God is telling you to do. Have you seen people who want money from people in church and they'll say, the Bible says, and they keep telling you what the Bible says, but under that there's greed. And they're saying, if you don't give this, this is what's going to happen. God is saying that he's not going to rain blessings from heaven because you're not paying your tithes. He's going to shut up the storehouse. So that's an extortioner. That's one that's trying to gain things for themselves. So people are known by their fruit, y'all. 
So you have to know what tree is coming from. You got to say, wait a minute now. I know what God's word said, but God ain't going to put me in no fear while he's saying his word. Because I'm not going to, um, you know, be in fear. Anyway, this is what they did to get what they wanted. She worked it through using the law to get what she wanted, but that was deceit. So that's what an extortioner do. Watch out for extortioners. They are in the body of Christ. They think of things to do to get what they want, and they use threats. Have you ever heard somebody tell you, say to you, if you don't do this right here, I'm going to tell so-and-so. Because I know what you've done, because I was with you when you done it. Have y'all ever heard somebody, a Christian, talk like that? I know what you said. I heard what you said. Now, don't make me go to Apostle Amanda on you. Because they're trying to gain something. They're trying to get something. So they, they'll try to hold something on you to get what they want. An extortioner is greedy. They'll do whatever they can to get what they want. Let's look at another scripture in Nehemiah 5. Y'all, the word was getting so good. I was just finding scriptures all over the place. And I just wanted to make sure you had them all. Say, thank you, Lord. God's so good, isn't he? Nehemiah 5, and this is what's happening. Y'all know the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was building the wall, and as he was building the wall, we know the enemy was coming at him and coming at the people. But how many know that what the enemy want to do is bring division even in the midst of what God is doing? Now, Nehemiah was so busy focusing on what God was telling him to do to build that wall, and the wall was getting built, that what was happening that there was something going on in the community. And sometimes we'll miss what's going on in the community because we're so focused on, you know, what we're focused on. So what was happening was the Jews were, um, take, it was a famine in the land, so they were taking things from the other Jews, charging more interest, doing things that they should not have done to their brothers and sisters. And when Nehemiah got involved, he saw it was about usury. He saw it was about greed. They were taking money to make money. They were taken away from the ones that did not have so they could have. That's an extortioner. Extortioner. When you see somebody that's taken away from the poor so they can have, charging more interest or trying to come up with things to make them wealthy, wealthy or make them gain and putting other people down, that's an extortioner. So go back and read Nehemiah the, um, chapter 5 and you'll see what they've done. But Nehemiah, he came in there and he brought correction. He told them, this is what you have to do. You have to give them back this, these things that you have taken from them. So he brought correction to the people. This is happening in the church. You have people trying to gain in the church, trying to be greedy in the church, and they're trying to um, take money to get more money. And you have to be careful of that. So this is why God is bringing all of this out to you guys so you will let you, let you know what's around you. Or if you go somewhere else and this come out, you'll be like, wait a minute. I got taught this. This is what this means. This person is greedy for gain, and they're, they're doing it through threatening. It's, they sound forceful. They sound just like if I don't do this, this is what's going to happen. That's an extortioner in the church. And he's telling us we have to watch out for these things in the church. And then we bring correction, y'all, because some people may not think 
that this is what they're doing in the body of Christ. Don't let nobody tell you, if you don't pay this, you know, you could die when you leave here, you know, or trying to force you to do something out of the will of God. God don't operate like that. God wants you to give out of your heart. And God don't want you to take from others so you can have more than anybody else. He don't want you to do it that way. An extortioner will lie. They will deceive. You see what Jezebel done. So these scriptures is just letting you know what an extortioner do. So be on the lookout. And seem like every time I teach what I'm teaching, something end up happening. Somebody end up giving me a testimony on what I taught. So that's why I say be careful what you're around. Matthew 18, 28. In Matthew 18, 28, it says, but the same servant, this is talking about, let me start off with verse 23. I want to make sure we read this one. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was born unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay his Lord, commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay, till he should pay the debt. That's an extortioner. He was not having patience with him the way that when he owed the debt, it was patience given unto him. He took the other man that owed him a debt, caught him by the throat. Was that threat? Was that by force? He was being greedy. He wanted his. That's what an extortioner does. So look out for an extortioner because evidently God is bringing us in this house for a reason. God don't bring stuff in, not unless there's a reason, right? And sometimes he stay on things longer than others. And there's always a reason. In Luke 18, 11, and this is the last scripture on extortion. Luke 18, 11, yes, it is enough, but uh, I thought you needed it. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. So this scripture is saying what the Pharisee say, said, that he was not an extortioner. He didn't even recognize himself as being one because the Pharisees were like that. I see Julia back there just smiling. You want another scripture, Julia? Okay. That's a lot of them, huh? But it helps us to go into the word of God and study to show ourselves approved and workmen that need not be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of truth so we know how to answer. Amen? Let's go to division. We're going to talk about division and what division means. Standing apart, disunion, that's what division is, standing apart, disunion. Every leadership may draw disciples after themselves and divide the church. That's division. Every leadership may draw disciples after themselves and divide the church. 
You may have someone in the body of Christ that's trying to draw people unto themselves. How do they do it? By turning around what has been taught, the doctrine that has been taught. That's a person that's causing division, they're causing disunion, they're causing people to stand apart from what they were taught and what they believe. That person want all the attention. They want people to um, follow their doctrine, to follow their teaching. So what they're doing is trying to make disciples unto themselves. Let's look at Romans 16. Romans 16, and let's look at verse 17 and 18. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, we're brethren, Mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark. Mark means to fix one eyes upon, direct one attention to. So Paul is saying here, I want you to fix your eyes on those which cause division. Like I said, division is disunion, and I'm going to break it down some more. It's disagreements, discord, strife, standing apart, being separate. All of that is wrapped up in division. So he said, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses. Offenses is where you put a stumbling block in somebody's way. You draw them away from the doctrine. You draw them away from what they believe by putting a stumbling block there. Contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. So we see Paul is saying it right here. When you have somebody that's in the church that's taking you away from the doctrine that's being taught unto you, that's trying to draw you away and draw you unto themselves, and how do they do that? What they do is when something is taught, they will come back and say, well, let me tell you what this says. Let me break this down even the more. And they keep going on. And sometimes people not are aware of that they're causing division, that they're causing disunion, that they're causing separation. I'll give you an example with me. I had a certain person that people were looking up to in the church. When I would teach something, they would come back and teach the same thing I taught. That was good. And they were teaching it the way they believed that God gave it to them, but in a way they were trying to correct me. So I'm just watching. The Bible say, watch as well as pray, and the Lord lets you know when to come in and go out with that person. It got to the point that when people had situations going on, they would call that person. And then when that person couldn't handle the situation, that person would come to me. They looked at that person as being the pastor and me as being under that person. They would, anything that person done, they would think that that person was right because they thought that person knew what that person was talking about. It got so bad that every time you turn around, that very same person was being delivered after deliverance, deliverance, deliverance all the time. So what I'm saying is that person thought that they taught so much better than anybody else, and they began to have followers in the church, but they couldn't handle it. And the reason why they could not handle it, because they were making it about them, not about the word of God. They wanted people to know what they knew. Even if it was taught in here, open up just as simple, they will go even deeper trying to make people think that they knew more than I know. It's like a competition going on. So anyway, long story short, God broke that up because that person had to end up coming to me and apologizing 
for what they done and asked me to forgive them for what they were doing. But guess how God fixed this thing too? To let the person know and to let the people in the congregation know that God already knew about it and you don't get nothing over on God. God and the person already told y'all a long time ago what they were doing. But anyway, this person, I had this person to do a sermon and just begin to do the sermon and and, and just go off with the sermon. People was up praising God, thanking Jesus, and the person said, I was playing with you. And you know what the person told that person? You wasn't playing. You wasn't playing. That was God. They believed that person so much, even when that person acted out, they thought it was still God. And God had to show them, I know what's going on. So see, this is why I say, the enemy was bringing division. Why did the enemy want to bring division? Because when you got somebody teaching you truth, the enemy got to bring somebody in the same body to counteract that truth to make them look like they know more than the person that's teaching. So that is division. That is bringing in discord. That is bringing in strife. That is bringing in separation. That is bringing in disunion. So watch that in the church. Somebody that always go behind and try to talk about what was already talked about. They're trying to get people to follow them instead of following Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. We have that in the body of Christ. So this is what Paul was saying. He said, mark them. Fix your eyes upon them. So he's basically he's saying beware of them. He said those that cause offenses, offenses is a stumbling block. They're causing you to stumble. They're causing you to turn away from the doctrine that God is bringing unto you. This is how you handle things. If somebody come to you with anyone that has just taught something and they're trying to turn you away from the truth and say, well, actually... That verse of scripture is saying this. It's not saying that. Let me break this down the more to you. That's division. Because you don't want to draw them unto yourself. See, you got to understand this. When you put, um, when you prepare a meal, you got different things on that plate for that meal, right? Some people may not like what's on that plate. What you cooking. You're going to pull off that plate what you like, right? Some of us throw away what we don't like, right? So when you have a person that's trying to cause division, if something was on that plate that would benefit them or get people to see them, they want to make sure it's thrown off that plate to make the other person look like it shouldn't even been on the plate. Do y'all catch me? <laughs> so that's what you call division in the house of God. They want people to look up to them. It is not about me. It's about him. That's why I say I've been crucified with Christ. I'm only delivering what he wants me to deliver. You don't belong to me. You belong to him. He just have me over you and giving you what need to be given. If I get too high-minded, if I get too prideful and I'm always trying to draw people unto me, don't even come in here. Because that's not God. That's not what God does. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about trying to get somebody to follow this one or follow that one. We follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. So division was going on. And so Paul said, mark them. He said, mark them. But then he said also, and I like this part, avoid them. 
Let's talk about this avoiding them. What it means to avoid. It means to turn away from, keep aloof from, to shun, to remove oneself. Avoid means to turn away from, keep aloof from. That's still turning away to shun, to remove oneself. If you got a person that every time I teach or every time somebody else teach and they're coming to you because you're following them, anybody that you have to call all the time and get their opinion, you will cause division. What am I saying? I'll use Teresa for example. If Teresa is the pastor and Teresa's coming, well, I'm coming to Teresa as the pastor, and I'm asking Teresa, she taught something, I want to get understanding of what she taught, I'm going to the person who taught it, right? I'm going to Teresa and and asking her, I'm unsure of what you said, could you help give me an understanding? Because maybe Teresa bought it in a way that I didn't understand. So the Bible says, wisdom is the principal thing, but in all you're getting, Get understanding. So I'm going to her because she the one bought the message. Because everybody may have received it in a different way, but the way I received it, I didn't feel it. It didn't it didn't make me feel too good. So I want to go to her and say, Teresa, could you please explain this to me? Because this is how I took what you said. So Teresa's explaining it to me because I'm going to her. Amen. But let's say I don't go to Teresa. I go to Julia. And I'll say, Julia, that text that Teresa went over and she says, you know, mark them and don't be around them, avoid them, shun them. How, why would you shun your brother and sister? We all brothers and sisters in Christ. I shouldn't be shunning you or nobody else. They need to bring correction to that. I need to love on you even the more. I don't need to shun you and not be around you. She need to go back and check that. Let me tell you exactly what it says, Julia. It tell me to love my brother and sister. It tell me not to shun them. It tell me to bless them and not to curse them. It tell me to love them and not to hate them. I don't know where they got that from. And then, Julia, look at me. I believe that's right. I never thought of it that way. What is that causing? This is happening in the body of Christ. That's why you got to be careful If somebody come to you and don't understand what a teacher taught or what I taught or anybody taught, your thing is you can proudly say, this is what I understood. But you need to go to the one that taught it to get a clear understanding. Because if you do not do that, you're going to cause division in the body of Christ because that's not the way it said it, it was said. If I listen to my teachers and I hear something that I think that need to be broken down even the more. Not that they're wrong, but I'm saying somebody's going to take this the wrong way. You need to come in another way and break it down so it'll be understood. That's not saying your teaching was toe up from the flow up. That's just giving you what God has given me so it won't be no division. Do y'all understand? People get upset when you correct them. When it comes to the word of God. I bring you correction so there won't be no division. And I'm going to bring you the correction according to the word of God. It ain't about, um, I'm thinking I'm this or that. It's about stopping division in the body of Christ. Because if I don't do that, you got some over here thinking something was said 
this way. You got some over there thinking it was said that way. What do you have in the church? And a divided house. And it's going to keep running rapidly in the church. So that's why I'm always like this. If I say something and it hit me and God said, okay, I can be on this pulpit. And God will say, bring it out another way. I hear him. Let me do it this way. Why? Because the Lord is warning me. It's somebody trying to trap you in something. Somebody ain't just looking at you to take it in. Somebody's looking at you to trap you. A snare. So hear what the Spirit is saying even when you're teaching. If he's stopping you and say, uh-uh, bring it out this way now. Then you're going to counterreact the division that the enemy want to bring in the room. That's why you have to always be open in the spirit. Do y'all remember when the lady had gotten up here and she was talking about reaping what you sow? And the way that she explained it, I heard what she said. And I understood what she said. But in my ear, I can hear somebody say, now if you sow something, you definitely going to reap it. I heard it. So the Lord said, get up and explain that the way it need to be explained so you can close that door. And guess what? The person told me afterwards, I am so glad that you reiterated what was said because they were going somewhere else. What would that have a cause? Y'all better hear the spirit when the spirit is speaking. Quit going home talking amongst yourself about different people. Quit going home trying to search the word to prove that somebody is wrong instead of going back searching the scriptures for yourself and making sure you understand where they're coming from before you call somebody else and try to bring some correction. That's division. That's putting a stumbling block. That's getting people to follow you and not the person that God has put them up under. That's bringing division in the body of Christ. And, oh, I'm going to go somewhere in a minute. So let's look at another one. We look at Abraham and Lot. That's in Genesis 13. I like how Abraham handled all of that. Because first of all, Lot shouldn't have been with Abraham. But Abraham went on and took Lot with him, right? Sometimes we're taking some Lots with us that shouldn't be with us. And when we take them, we miss out on what God wants us to do. But when we're obedient to God, those things begin to change when we let go of Lot. Look at Genesis 13. Verse 7, and it says, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham cattle and the herdsmen of Lot cattle. So, and the Canaanites and the Perzites dwelled then in the land. I want y'all to catch this. There was some strife there between Abraham um, herdsmen and Lot's um, herdsmen. So, but the Canaanites and Perzites dwelled then in the land. So the enemies was in the land when they were going at it. And Abraham said unto Lot, let there be no scrife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and their herdsmen, for we are brethren. So guess what Abraham did to resolve it? If you go left, I go right. If you go right, I'll go left. So he was resolving that. Guess why? He was among some heathens that did not believe what they believed, that went outside of the will of God. So he's showing the world that. We ain't going to solve it like you solve it in this strife. We're going to shut it down right now. I ain't going to have this amongst me. You choose where you want to go, and wherever you choose is all right with me. Abraham, shut it down. This is what we're supposed to do in the body of Christ. 
We're supposed to shut this stuff down in the body of Christ because we got people on the outside Miracle Temple waiting on Miracle Temple to fail. And the only thing they need is somebody on the inside to start something so they can take it on the outside so inside will be toe up and the outside getting what they want to prove a point. Y'all don't know. So this is why we resolve things amongst ourselves. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we don't let things come in between us to cause division. So we have strife, we have discord, all of this come through division. And the divided house will not stand. The enemy knows that. One thing that a person do, which division is a divisive person. They use flattering words, y'all. A person that want to cause division use flattering words. Why do they do this? Because they want others to think as they think, believe as they believe, walk as they walk, live as they live, follow as they follow, and talk as they talk. That's a divisive person. That's a person who's in division. They want people to walk like they walk, talk like they talk, live like they live, follow them, do all of these things, and they bring division. So they're trying to draw disciples unto themselves. Some of us say, no, that's not me. But if you have any of these traits where you always trying to check behind somebody to prove a point that you're right and they're wrong, check yourself because that's a form of pride as well. And that's bringing division in the body of Christ. So you got to check yourself. And and this is what I have learned, y'all. In my time of teaching, preaching, whatever God has called me to do, and I know I have told y'all this many times, the only time I'm perfect in my spirit. Sometimes I fall short. And I'm not ashamed to say I fall short in some areas. And thank God for the Holy Spirit that when I fall short, I repent and I turn away from that way that I have fell short in. So we as ministers of God, all of us are ministers, whatever position you hold in the body of Christ, if things are attached to you, you should be able to acknowledge, I have this problem. I have this issue. Everything that I have went over and everything that we have talked about, God don't bring it out not unless it's in the room. Quit looking at yourself like, I'm not this and I'm not that. Then that means you are. Because as soon as you say, I'm not, yes, you are. Because the enemy wants you to say that you're not. Everybody is different in a way. Me and my husband, we stay in the same house. I love him. He loved me. But my ways sometimes are different from his way. But when we come together, it's one way. And that one way is Jesus Christ. That means I may do things this way or he may do it that way. But somebody got to stop and say, it don't matter which way, long as it's done right. But a prideful person is going to be done my way because your way ain't right. How is my way not right when we get the same job done? Because I've done it like this all the time. Okay. But a person that don't know that that person is prideful, you know what they're going to say is? Okay, we'll do it your way. They're humbling themselves. And they're allowing that person to do it their way so strife and division won't come in. But guess what the next step is? That person need to pray and say, Father... You need to show them that they're walking in pride because I don't want no strife. I don't want none of this in this house. 
But Father, you have to show them because I, I can't get it across to them. So I just humbled myself and let them do it their way. Either way, it's getting done. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Because if you don't, it is division. This is what happened in the body of Christ. All of us getting taught the same thing. We can't have somebody thinking just because they teach louder, they're better than the person that teach lowly. <laughs> thinking that they can out speak in tongues, out, do, oh, I want this one, I want this one, I want that one. It ain't about one, this one, that one, or the other. It's about what are they presenting and how are they presenting it. Are they presenting it in pride? Which way are they bringing it? See, division come in the, the house of God because people have people that they pick from and they choose from. And we don't, that's division too. So we want to make sure that we don't have division amongst us. And we want to handle it the way that God would have us to handle it. So make sure when people come to you and they're trying to tell you something somebody um, spoke about or something somebody said, you want to bring correction. How do we do it? Go to that brother. Go to that sister. You heard what they said. I didn't. I'm only hearing what you thought you heard. I was not there. I did not hear it. So I need to hear it for myself. So that way I will know where it's coming from. Y'all get it? Because if you don't, division would be in the house. And sometimes we can be so much in suspicion, y'all, that we look for wrongness in that person that we ain't heard what they said the right way. Because we already made up our mind that they was wrong and the enemy is feeding us words that was not even said. We pick up on stuff that nobody didn't even say because that has become a part of us. And that brings division. That brings strife. That brings discord. And what I always do, thank you, Holy Spirit, getting back to me, if something go on in here and um, our first thing that I'll do is search me, Lord. See if there's anything in me that have caused what have happened in here. Some people say, well, why you do that? You ain't have nothing to do with it. I do have something to do with it. Because if God has put me in a position to watch over you and something is going on amongst you, I want to make sure that I didn't present myself or say something for you to get where you are to do what you've done. So I want to find out. God, is it something I said? Is there something I need to go counter-react before I deal with that person? I want to clear stuff up before I get in the midst of it to say, where did this come from? God, did it come through me? Is it something, Father, that was already here? Check yourself first. Because when you go deal with that person, you want to make sure that that person didn't come up with that conclusion because of something you said. Because it was one time, y'all, somebody said something that I did not say. Lord knows I did not say it. But then I humbled myself and I said, Jesus, if I said it, I'm asking for forgiveness. I don't recall saying it. But, Lord, if I did, bring it back to my remembrance. And I let it go. I was feeling free about it. Push come to shove, found out I ain't dead. You humble yourself. Don't let pride get in the way. Pride will get in the way, y'all. All of this stuff that I talked about, that the Lord is having me to talk about, go back and review your stuff. Check yourself and say, Lord, does any of this apply to me before I put it on somebody else? We're e we can easily point fingers at other people, but we got to look at ourselves and say, Lord, is it me? If me and my husband get in a confrontation, y'all, little simple stuff, 
I have to go back and say, Lord, check me. Check me. Help me to see me before I even say something to him. Because I don't want to talk to him and make him feel bad when it could be me. And I'll give you an example that the enemy will cause division on the simplest stuff. Me and my husband went to eat at this restaurant and this little diner. And um, I had a big sandwich. And um, my husband, no, I don't finish my food. I, I eat part of it and I leave the rest. So my husband said he was still hungry. So I had my plate sitting there and I had good meat right here. Good meat right here. And I had put my napkin right here over the other part. So I said, oh, you can have this. And my husband looked at me. He told me, you're going to offer me that? And you got a napkin over it? And I said, no, the good meat right here. So that was all over with. But one day we was coming to church on a Sunday, and it come before me again. And I stopped, and I told my husband, I said, honey, forgive me for offering you that. He said, what are you talking about? I said, forgive me for offering you that meat like that. He said, well, I knew you wouldn't give me nothing wrong. I said, uh-uh. I said, I'm asking for forgiveness because I would have looked at it in another way, like I was giving you something nasty if somebody done me that way. So I'm apologizing because it was wrong. Why am I saying this? Because if I had not corrected that, the enemy could have got on him, gave him a flashback, and there would have been division and strife amongst us. So I had to close that door. Because God didn't give me that picture for no reason, y'all. I could have left that door open. But I closed that door with him so the enemy had nothing on me. He couldn't use that when me and him go back to a restaurant and he would say, oh, do you remember when you offered me that mess that you didn't want to eat? Come on. This is the truth. This happens. So when the enemy brings stuff to your remembrance and it may be something that's so simple Go ahead and apologize. Go ahead and close that door because eventually it's coming back up. God didn't bring it back to you for no reason. You want to treat people like you want to be treated, and that's what God was telling me. Would you have accepted that for him, or would you have to fuss him out and still be fussing him out for offering you a piece of meat that he had a napkin right there beside? Oh, yeah, I know you did. So go back through what we already went through and ask yourself, God, is this me? God, were you talking to me? And leave me out of it, because I'm only delivering what God has given me. <laughs> Don't say God was apostle, man, or talking to me. Don't say, God, were you talking to me through apostle? <laughs> Amen. Do we have anything, anybody have anything to relate to what I have went over so far? That anybody want to share to help somebody? I think Athea covered the drunkenness. I don't think there's nothing else can be said about a drunk. Athea helped us out. Is there anything else that I went over? Jennifer? Can, can you come up here, Jennifer? This is going to help the ones that's watching, too. This ties back into when we were talking about the Tower of Babel, when God said, they're with one, they're together. They're with one. There's nothing that can be withheld from them. And so the enemy knows that if he can divide us, then that distracts us from doing what God's called us to do. Because God knows that when, we're, when we are one, that there's nothing that can stop us. Amen. So. Anybody else? Jay, come on up.
you know, when I was uh, first walking in here and the apostle was talking about Acts 5 and, you know, and being honest, you know, because you're, when you're talking to the Holy Spirit, that's like something like I, you know, kind of thought about because sometimes like I'd be, you know, praying or thinking and so forth. And I try to be honest, but I kind of screwed, screwed up with that a little bit. And um, the pride thing, that's one thing I've like heard you preach a lot about on Sundays and even like tonight, uh, being prideful. Um, you know, even like uh, talking to like other family or friends or associates, and I hear a lot about pride and division. And tonight, I could say this teacher really, you know, corrected me on some stuff because, um, you know, I've always kind of like, especially like, you know, over the past few years, I've always been saying like, you know, like uh, I got to try and work it out myself, the finances and everything, and try and do everything myself and, you know, not really trusting the way I should always been trusting. So I feel like Amen. That. Anybody else have something? I think you have something else. I see your mouth open. You got something to say? Come on. How many is um how how many know that this teaching is helping? It's helping you to identify what sometimes we look over that can help us in our daily uh routines and everything that we do. Um sin, transgression, iniquities. Mm-hmm. Everything you were teaching, it'll run through your generation. With the sin, missing the mark, the transgressions, when you know better and you still do it, and it becomes embedded in you, and then it becomes an iniquity, and it'll pass through your generation like drunkenness. I had a cousin who started AA in Maple Hill, and his son, was he was an alcoholic, his son was an alcoholic, and his fear was, are my granddaughters going to be alcoholics? And with an extortion, and when you was talking about that, it reminded me on these TV shows, when you see the mob, how they go around and extort money, and they keep it in the family. And all this stuff, it goes into your generation if we don't stop it. That's what I was, you know, was reminding me about the sin and the uh, transgression and iniquities. Amen. Anybody else? Okay, nobody else got anything to say. We're going to go ahead and let the offering, the deacons come up with the offering, and we're going to move forward. 